0: Have a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman Collins, registered dietitian nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We're excited to have you joining us for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Dee, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Sherry. How are you?
0: I'm awesome. Super excited to be back in the saddle. Me I am. <laughs> <laughs> and we are starting out season two with some doozies of topics. Yes. So we're not holding back, and we're diving into some incredibly tough, even some disturbing topics, and today's topic is one of those. So we're going to talk about one of the world's fastest-growing crimes today. It is incredibly hard to believe that in 2019, slavery still exists. But according to the United Nations, sex trafficking is the most common form of slavery, making up nearly 80% of the human trafficking around the world. So my initial response to this kind of information is to want to think of it as a problem in other parts of the world. Surely this is not something that would happen in the U.S., right? Not in my neighborhood, not in my city, and the reality is that it is happening. Absolutely. It's happening around us, and today's guest is going to open our eyes. And break our hearts about the issue of sex trafficking. So I am so excited to welcome Susan Norris to the show today. Susan is the founder and executive director of Rescuing Hope. And she's been involved in the fight against sex trafficking in America since 2010. So she's gonna um, share with us some incredible information. She is passionate about raising awareness about this issue and encouraging and empowering survivors to live an abundant life. And if you've been following me on Instagram or in other places, you know my word for the year is abundance. And so I love that that's part of your mission, Susan. And I'm gonna encourage everybody to go to our website and go to the Rescuing Hope website, and we'll put the links in um, the show notes and learn a little bit more about Susan and the mission, but today I just want to welcome you and thank you for taking the time to join us, Susan. Thank
2: you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself, especially you know how you became an advocate and you know what did you do before you knew about this?
2: Well, I'm a mom of two adult children, but when this information came to my attention, I was... The mom of a middle schooler and a high schooler, and I was working with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at a middle school, and I had probably 300 to 350 students coming in every Friday for that club meeting. And as I was coming to the end of my tenure there, I realized that uh, I needed to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. <laughs> so the uh, the regional director of FCA at the time, David Delk, Invited me to a luncheon, and David and I are kind of like brother and sister, so I told him to mind his own business. I had plans. (laughs) And then um, it turned out our appointments were a mile apart, and I was sitting in the Starbucks waiting for my meeting, and I received a text message that said, "Um, sorry, I have to cancel and reschedule. So I had the choice to go home or to go to his meeting. So I started driving towards home because I wasn't going to let him win. Oh <laughs> I grew up with brothers. Like I'll just own it. So um, then there was an accident on the road I was riding down, and law enforcement required okay, everyone God. to do a U-turn. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I said, all right, God, I'm stubborn, but I'm not stupid. I will go. <laughs> so I drove to the restaurant, and I walked in, and I looked for them, and I didn't see him anywhere. So I left thinking, I won because I came and you weren't here. (laughs) And it was a Mexican restaurant, and this man comes running out screaming, Hey, lady, hey, lady, are you looking for the meeting? And I stopped, and I thought, really, God? There was no part of my stature that said I was looking for a meeting. (laughs) So I went into the room that happened to be upstairs, and I didn't even see the stairwell. And a woman was speaking about the sex trade in our nation, in our city, and actually in the county that we were meeting in, and I sulked in the room and sat in the only seat that was open of about 35 seats at the table, and they started putting food out. And at the time, I was not a fan of Mexican food. There was really only one thing on a Mexican menu I would eat, and that was fajitas. And I would just eat the, the meat and peppers and onions. So, they set it in front of me, and I looked at him and said, what is this? And he said, well, we call it lunch in a very smart-alecky <laughs> way. And I said, no, I, I didn't order anything. I told you I wasn't coming. He said, yeah, but God told me you were, so I ordered. Aww. Um, that's the day I learned the average entry age. The statistic that was um, out at the time stated that for girls, it was between 12 and 14 years old. And that rocked me because I had a 14-year-old under my roof, but I had just spent four years of my life. Dedicated to eleven to fourteen year olds. And so that was not just a number for me. And um, being a mom and a, an educator by trade mm-hmm. and just plain being female, that gave me license to be nosy like no other. <laughs> so I set out on a journey um, to find out how this happens. Yeah, And I met a detective who became the gatekeeper. And before long, I was sitting with victims, survivors, family members whose daughters were missing that they knew they were in the life trying to find them. And after all of that, um, I took all my notes, I put them in a file cabinet, and I literally left the country and went to Africa. Wow. (laughs) Um, I'd committed to go on a mission trip with our church, and I just needed a mental break from the darkness I was exposed to. And
0: mm. how long between the time mm. that you had that first sat in that first meeting until this moment when you left the country?
2: Um, uh, the meeting was in the first week of May. I left the country in October. Okay. Oh. And then I came home and. I um, set out to do what I felt like God had called me to do, which was to write a book, sharing information so that people would know it's in their zip code. It's not just in our country, but it's Mm -hmm. literally in our zip code. And um, I tell people I didn't really write the book, that um, I've actually been invited to writers' conferences to talk about writing a book. And I said, you don't want me (laughs) because the way I did it was so not your traditional way. I would send my family off to, um, school and to work. And I would go in my office and literally get face down on the floor in prayer and ask God to show me what happened to hope. Um, the joke in our family is I've already seen the movie because I saw it play out piece by piece. And so as I would get a glimpse and then it would come to a, a halt in my mind, I would get up and type what I had seen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then worked with someone to craft it and fine tune it. Um, I wrote it fiction, so students would read it because they don't read something nonfiction unless a grade's attached to it. (laughs) Um, But everything in it that happens to Hope, the character I created, happened to one of the girls that I sat with or the family member of someone I sat with. Mm
0: -hmm. So the book is called Rescuing Hope, a story of sex trafficking in America. And you're the author, and they can find this book
2: on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or at any venue that we speak at.
0: Okay, so the book was your was sort of the beginning,
2: or I thought the middle? it was, I thought it was the entirety of it. Um, I thought, okay, now I've written this book. It released December thirty first, two thousand twelve, which God has a sense of humor because He told me it would release in two thousand twelve, um, and it did. And, and the he's very last He's day. never late, but is he seldom early? So. Um, At that time, I literally thought, okay, I've done my piece. Now I can go on and figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. And my book agent called and she said, I think you need to write a curriculum. I said, I think you need to mind your own business. (laughs) I I, I didn't want to write a book. I certainly don't want to write a curriculum. And I don't want my whole ministry to be about sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I heard God say in my spirit, But what if I do?
1: Yeah. Uh
2: So at that moment, I said, Robin, I have to go. I've just been spanked and I need to go apologize. (laughs) (laughs) And I literally, again, went face down on the floor in the same office, in the same place where the book unfolded to me and said, I'll go through any door you open. I'll say whatever you put in my mouth and I'll stay in this fight until you release me. And so that was really the day that the work started because. After that day, my phone started ringing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it was people um, that had read the book and wanted me to come and speak as an expert, which I kept thinking, I'm not an expert. Mm-hmm. But I realized I knew more than the average person right. knew, so in their mind, I was an expert. And the victims started calling, and they would say, hey, mama, I'm in jail, or hey, mama, I need help with groceries, or hey, mama, I need help with a light bill. And I kept thinking, I gave birth to two kids, and you're not one of them. Why are you <laughs> calling me mama? <laughs> But there was just such a need for Mm -hmm. someone to come alongside and to undergird them and to walk life out with them and teach them things that they missed because they were in the life at 12, 13, 14 years old. Or maybe they didn't enter in until 18, but came from a highly dysfunctional family and did not have that mentoring relationship with a parent or a teacher or someone that gave them hope and spoke life into them. Mm -hmm. So paint a picture for
0: us of sort of what, you know, I think when people think of sex trafficking, you know, that word has so many, connotations, right, for people. And I think that, you know, for me, certainly when I began to understand about this topic or think about this topic, my initial thought was this is happening in other countries. This is like a third world country issue. And I imagined, you know, that these were children who were and that I know that happens. That is the picture. But in the United States, it might be a little bit of a different picture. Can
2: you give us an idea of what that looks like? Sure. I think in this, the picture that most people have is from the movie Taken because they've seen it right and they think oh well that's how trafficking happens and I'm not a parent that would ever lose my mind and let my teenager go to Europe unaccompanied or I would not uh, allow my child to go off with someone and and not follow up and and that's good that you're that way but the reality is this is not a respecter of persons it happens Mm -hmm. in every demographic out there In every zip code, Um, it happens in your little tiny quiet towns like in Dublin, Georgia, and it happens in metro Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think, well, we live in the suburbs. We're not where the crime takes place. But reality is you have to have expendable cash flow to pay to rape someone. So you're not the person that's living in the hood on food stamps. And hoping that you're going to get your next job. It's the person who the data shows that the average purchaser is between 30 and 39 years old, married with two children. So, again, it is not only men who purchase, women purchase, um, couples purchase, groups purchase, fraternity purchase. Gangs will bring people into the life. They'll beat a guy into the gang. They'll rape a girl into the gang. And then they'll sell her as a way to fund their gang activity. Um, you're not tethered to a bed or, or put in um, a basement locked down in some hidden room where people can't see you. Um, one of the families that we worked with, their daughter was held in a basement of a $1.5 million home. And the owners looked like they were very social, but they were really running a brothel in their basement. Others are trafficked by family members and they live at home and they go to public school or private school. And when they come home, that's when the nightmare starts and they have to service clients whenever, wherever. In Rome, Georgia, one of the ADAs was working a case where um, the young child's mother was her trafficker Mm -hmm. and she did it as a means to take care of her needs. Um, When the payment was due for rent, she sent her daughter to the landlord to pay rent in a different way. When her car note was needed, she sent her to the purchase that she purchased the car from to pay for the car for the month. So it can happen in so many different areas. Uh, um, The statistics from Georgia CARES, which takes the data of all domestic minor sex trafficking victims in the state of Georgia, they tell us, over ninety percent of all victims of sex trafficking that they serve were attending school when they were first approached by their traffickers. So the grooming process, the luring and recruiting process, happened while they were attending school. Mm-hmm. And I saw evidence of that when I was uh, working as a sponsor for FCA. I just didn't know what I was seeing at the time. After so I learned, it's
1: happening at school.
2: They're not necessarily being groomed at school, although classmates have been um, charged as traffickers in past high school students trafficking their classmates. But they may be going to school while someone is grooming them either online or in person gotcha. outside. So you're seeing several of the symptoms. So tell us what school. that
0: tell us what that looks like. what sure. What kinds of symptoms should we be looking for?
2: Sure. And um if people want to follow up later, we have on our free resources at rescueehop dot com a list of general indicators. Oh good. Um, one of the things let me back up because, A trafficker will invest a lot of time in grooming, luring, and recruiting because the payout is so big. This is a $32 billion a year industry. And a trafficker, based on data that was released in 2014, the average trafficker in Atlanta with two to three victims makes close to $33,000 a week. (gasps)
0: Wow. So
2: if that's the case, they're willing to invest some time Mm -hmm. to gain trust and it's kind of like the the frog in the pot. If you throw them in a boiling pot of water, they're going to jump out. But if you put them in a cold pot and gradually bring up the heat, you'll cook the frog and they won't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: For young people, that may be someone posing as a friend or a boyfriend or a father figure. Because traffickers are chameleons. They will be whatever you want. If you look at uh, Maslow's Pyramid of, of Need... Mm-hmm. Traffickers are very well aware of that. So they will look at where the greatest need is for a victim or a potential victim, and they will morph into that and Mm -hmm. provide whatever that is. If they need a boyfriend, say she's um, maybe uh, struggling with self-image and she needs a boyfriend, he'll become that and he may make arrangements to meet her At the mall or the movies or places that it's normal for teenagers to meet their friends. So parents tend to drop off and don't ask a lot of questions and pick up. Well, he may meet her at the mall and take her around and buy her something at Starbucks. Take her in the coach store and buy her a coach wallet to profess his love. He won't buy her a coach purse because mom would see that.
1: Mm. But she
2: can hide her wallet in her backpack or her Target purse. And so... He's giving her gifts and trinkets that say, I love you. He may buy her lingerie and say that that is that's what you're going to wear when just for me. And that's something she can hide in her purse. And so when I'm talking to parents, I always tell them, you know, you own the purse, you own the backpack. Set the expectation with your children that as part of your safety, I need to check things, not just for trafficking, but for drug paraphernalia and all right. of that. We we are shirking our responsibility as parents and wanting so desperately to be their friends mm-hmm. that we're growing up with kids who have no boundaries. Mm-hmm. They have no framework. And that's why we're facing the issues in our culture today that we are. Because kids need those boundaries. They thrive in them, and they're hungry for them. And I find that to be true because of the victims that we serve. We set boundaries of what our expectations are, and we start to see them blossom. Mm. They don't need control. They need freedom within limits.
1: Yeah.
2: And so we see these things happen. Um, the best way to explain is to share um, when I interviewed the trafficker that the book is modeled after. Mm. He trafficked for 33 and a half years before he walked away from that life. And it was... So um, he left on his own? He left on his own. He said he had a head-on collision with Jesus. Mm. And um, after I had interviewed and found out all that I needed for the book, I said, Can I just ask you one question? And I don't mean for it to come across as a judgment question. I'm literally trying to get in your head and learn. He said, Sure. I said, At what point... Um, Did it ever become okay for you to sell another human being? And he said, well, you have to turn that tape recorder off. But then he shared, and he's given me permission to share when I speak. He said, at nine years old, the man I thought was my dad left, and um, we had no food to eat. I had younger sisters, and my mama couldn't work. Now, I never found out why his mom couldn't work or if she just chose not to. So he stole food to feed the family. And a guy in his neighborhood said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you um, how to sell cocaine. And so he did from age nine to age 16. And then another guy in the neighborhood said, I'm going to help you out. He said, if you sell that dime bag to somebody, you have nothing else to sell. But if you sell that pretty little girlfriend of yours, then you can sell her over and over and over and over. And I said, OK, I can now see how you got there. But how did it ever become okay for you um, a- in picking out your victims? What what did you look for? I mean, the girlfriend was easy. That's one. Mm-hmm. But how did you find others? He said, I told him what they wanted to hear. I said, all right, I'm, I'm slow. <laughs> You're going to have to help me out. Explain. He said, Susan, we could get in the car and drive over to the food court over here at Lenox Square. And you could point anyone out and I could tell you how I'd have them in my car in five minutes. I said, keep talking. He said, well, if it's, um, someone like you or Sherry, that's, you know, chatty Kathy and Mm -hmm. we'll talk to anyone. He said, um, she likely has FOMO disease, fear of missing out. So I'm going to invite her to a party because she's going to want to come to that party. But when she arrives, it's going to be a prearranged gang rape and then I'll take her into the life. um, if it's someone who is maybe uh, chubby or has glasses or buck teeth or something where, you know, those middle school years, it's just kind of Everybody's awkward. Everybody's awkward, everybody. So he may be saying, um, you know, I'll tell her she's beautiful because nobody has in a while. Um, he said the girl who's on the fringe, she's around the outside of the group and. You can tell she wants to be a part. And of course, they let her come along because it makes them look good, think mean girls. But they really don't care what she has to say. I'll ask her her opinion because no one does. And I'll gain her trust that way. And he just went on and on and on. And he said, there is not a demographic that I can't get in my car. And that disturbed me greatly.
1: Mm.
2: Because we tell our kids, beware of strangers but in this day and age, if I've friended you on social media or if I'm following you, if I've seen a picture that you posted and I liked it, You're in my mind, if I'm young, we're friends. Right. We're not strangers. Right. And so we need to get into explaining lots of different techniques and ways that they can become victimized because that's what they need to know, not stranger danger.
0: Yeah. I think that, it, you know, what one thing that you said that I think really sticks with me and is definitely something that I believe. And of course I have a five-year-old, so my son's still really young and we've got some time, but I know it's creeping up and it's going to be here quickly. You know, I think, I think, um, that setting boundaries and expectations is probably the wisest thing I think anybody could take away from this who's a parent, you know, establishing for your, for your children those appropriate boundaries because the world doesn't want them to have them. And I think we live in a, especially with technology, you know, technology's everywhere, right? They have these little computers that fit in their pocket. They take with them everywhere and they have so little protection on them unless you're very intentional about putting it there, you know? I think games that are like um, online games where people can play from all over the world, to me, those are one of the scariest things in my mind is because it's so easy for people to hide behind that screen. Mm -hmm. You don't know who's there. You know, I think kids don't know what we don't help them learn. You know, they don't know what we don't help them learn until somebody else teaches them. And we
2: have that responsibility. I, I tell parents all the time, um, You may not want to talk about sex or sex trafficking because you don't think your kids are ready. First off, most of the kids out there not only know more than you think, they know half of them are already doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen the data that supports that. Mm -hmm. So um, it is critically important. Um, And you have to start younger than you hope to because traffickers are just pedophiles on steroids, Uh, And they're out there making tons of money and and controlling and manipulating people. Um, With regard to gaming, um, one of the families that we served, uh, the mother called Frantic. And she said, I just, I don't know anyone I can talk to about this. I need to talk to someone. And her husband was serving the military in Afghanistan. And so she was basically a single parent Mm -hmm. for most of the time. And their daughter had been a victim of bullying in school. So together they had made the decision, we'll bring her home for a year. And homeschool. And homeschool and put her in counseling and help her work through this and build some skills to protect herself and then put her back in public school, which any parent would have thought to do something similar. Because she was somewhat of a loner and she was um, what we have called the the geek, the gamer. Um, my son went to Georgia Tech, so I know all about geeks. Um, she enjoyed gaming, so they decided they would continue to allow her to do that as her recreation, as a means to connect with other people and have some socialization. After all, it was in the home. Mom was there. Right. Um, They took her to therapy on a regular basis, and one day mom went to therapy and was waiting out in the waiting room while her daughter was in there with her therapist and got invited inside. And what happened next... How old was this child? Fifteen. Okay. What happened next completely changed their world forever. The therapist said that the young lady had been talking to her about the bullying, but she could tell something else was bothering her, and it finally reached the threshold and and the dam broke and she started confessing everything to the therapist that happened. While mom was washing dishes in the kitchen and the girl was playing video games in her room with someone, a person who posed as her peer was actually not and was someone who convinced her to first send a a photo of what we refer to in school children as the no-no square, the bathing suit area. And first it was simple photos that were requested. And then those were used as leverage to have her make videos Mm -hmm. because there's the threat. This is going on Instagram. This is going on YouTube. And, you know, kids are starting to learn if once it's out there, you can't ever take it down Mm -hmm. for good. There's no Mm -hmm. way to wipe it. It's been passed around. It's gone from server to server. So, um This young lady had nearly lost her mind. So with the therapist's help, they got the GBI involved. And the GBI did their deep dive research and learned that this young lady was part of an international child pornography ring now. And that there was some grooming going on to eventually take her into the sex trade. And that was in her bedroom, 15 steps from her mother in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So when we give our children technology, we don't need to talk about if someone approaches you or if you see pornography. It needs to be when When. this happens, this is what you do because it will. You talked about safety protocols on technology. They're great for the adults because we're technological immigrants Mm -hmm. And we have learned how to use these systems. Our kids pop out of the womb, and they have a cell phone handed to them to entertain them in the grocery store or the car seat. And they know
1: how to circumvent all the protocols. I was just about to say, yep. you know, it, it for your son, mm-hmm. Gavin, he's five. Yep. You know, it it works very well. But by the time he gets to middle school, he'll probably know how to get around it. Yeah. And so those conversations, at least for me, those conversations have been much more um effective. Yes. At um making sure that my boys stay safe mm-hmm. than I mean, I still have the <laughs> the brittle guides on there and mm-hmm. I can see where they are at any time well ever anyway, see where he is at any time of the day. Um, but the expectations and the explanation of this is, this is what could happen. Yeah, this is why yes. it's important for you to, um, let me know what's going on and, yeah. um, no, we're not going to close this door and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Cause he does game, you know, and he's got the headset on and he's talking to people all over the world and it's frightening.
2: Mm-hmm. We found that, um, talking with young people, one young man, shared that, yes, he looked at pornography and his parents had all these protocols on. him. when his mom would go to the store, he would disconnect them Mm because he knew how. He would look at what he wanted to look at and then he would put them back on. And his mom and dad were none the wiser. Mm -hmm. So that broke my heart. There are other um, materials out there and programs that, like you said, will they won't prevent, but they will track Mm -hmm. and they will let you see where you're going, and if it's deactivated, you're notified. Mm-hmm. So, in many cases, those are more helpful as a as a, a tool on your tool belt as a parent because you can either say, "Why did you go to this place?" or um, "Why did you deactivate this?" Because yeah, you will let's get talk that about notification, <laughs> and so that brings it about. And you know, pornographers' target age that they're looking for now to loop in are eight-year-olds. Wow. And it is because they know if they can build an addiction, that it could lead to purchase, and and, and it's an insatiable appetite. They're going to want more. Mm-hmm. Um, research has been being done about pornography, and it's very similar to drug addiction. You're not chasing the pornography. You're chasing the dopamine release in mm-hmm. your brain that comes from the pornography. So you may start with soft porn, which... Good Grief This Day and Age, it could come on on Good Morning America mm-hmm. um, or the Victoria Secret catalog in the mailbox that shows up or Fifty Shades of Grey that people think are harmless, but it's very explicit word porn. And so you could be exposed to something like that and that dopamine release is going to come for a while, but then you're going to crave the higher dopamine release mm-hmm. and you, you're going to get desensitized to it just like anything else in life. So then you're going to go to your hardcore porn and then your bestiality or child porn or webcam porn. And eventually, if you form an addiction, it will lead to purchase because you will Mm -hmm. want to act out what you're seeing to get that dopamine release. Now... It will lead to purchase of a person. Of a person because you're not going to find someone who's willingly compliant for the violent acts that we're seeing in pornography today. So what happens in that situation, and I tell young people, is it's just like with drugs. You don't know if you're the one that is going to form the addiction. There are some people that can take a hit of crack and walk away and never touch it again. There are others that take that same hit and they have an instant addiction. You don't know that. And while at 10, 12 years old, to ask them, would you ever pay to rape a person? They would be mortified. They don't know if that's going to play out that way. And so it's critically important that we address these issues with our young men and young women. 25% of all viewers are porn or female. And females are by putting that in their brain or being desensitized and given expectations in their own brain of how they should act, mm-hmm. how, what is expected for them, how they should perform. And that makes them more vulnerable.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that that is just all so overwhelming. And I think... You know, so for the person who's listening who's just like, "Wow, my mind is so blown and racing right now, I think can we just back up a little bit and think again about, okay, now what?
2: Now what? Um, one is with regard to your young people, keep a conversation going. And this it-
0: is your child, this is your this is your nephew, your niece, your
2: Or kids in your scout group Mm -hmm. or your next door neighbor or the little boy that lives across the street that you've watched grow up. And they need more advocates. They need champions in their life who will talk. Um, My kids laugh at how we growing up discussed everything. I can remember my son at 24 calling with a stomach bug. And we were talking through his symptoms and he was being very graphic about it. And I laughed and I said, I'm pretty certain your friends don't talk to your their moms about their body fluids like this. And he laughed. He said, Mom, we talked about masturbation and pornography and and sex trafficking at the dinner table. Why would I not discuss what we're discussing now? And you just, you build that expectation that there is no topic off limits. Yeah. And uh, with our children, it was always I'll never discuss my relationship with your father with regard to intimacy, but we can talk about anything about Everything intimacy. Else. There, there is no subject that is off the table. Yeah. And I encouraged them to forge friendships with godly men and women that I knew held my values to be that second tier because they, you know, you reach a point where you suddenly become very stupid to your children. <laughs> And if they, if you hang on long enough, you then become brilliant again. But from like middle school, high school, it, your brain gets removed from your head as mm-hmm. a parent, apparently. Mm-hmm. The reality is that their frontal lobe's not fully developed. They're not seeing long-term effects of their choices. You do, and so you butt heads. Yeah. yeah. So if you can plant other people in their world at a younger age to forge friendships mm-hmm. with them, that share your same value system, they'll go to them instead of you possibly, but you know, they're still getting wise counsel. Yes. So that's important. The other is familiarize yourself with the indicators of trafficking. And we have multiple lists. We've created them for medical personnel, for educators and just the general population. Can you give us like five? Sure. Um, One is um, if someone is dressed uh, very scantily and it's, 32 degrees outside and they don't have a coat on and you're at a restaurant or you're in the mall and you see that, that should be an indicator something's not right here. Um, If it's someone that you have a relationship with and you know their financial situation is tight, but suddenly you start seeing designer names on their body or Mm -hmm. you see nails being done and hair changing, if there's a slip in grades, Um, If there's truancy at school, um, another one is, are they making eye contact with you? Because a trafficker trafficker will tell you uh, if you are a victim, you only look at daddy and they hijack the family and refer to themselves as daddy. You only look at daddy. And then if someone purchases you, you can look at them, but you don't look at anybody else. There's a code of ethics in this industry. And if a, if a female victim looks at a man in the eye and it's not her trafficker and it's not her client, she is what's called out of pocket. That means that man can beat her, rape her, steal her money and take her into his herd. And they do use animal terms in referring to their victims. And her trafficker will not retaliate because she's broken the code. And they won't look at females in the eye. Because if I look at you that says, I see you, Mm -hmm. I can describe you. Mm -hmm. I have a, a memory in my brain of what you look like. So if someone comes along asking then you're able to notice them. You might pay attention to the fact that they're dressed like they're 20 and they're only 12 or that she's got a thong and a push-up bra on and barely pubescent at Mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. And so those things would send off signals for you. So she's going to keep her head down. She's going to try and stay out of the um, areas where she would be heavily recognized.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if somebody sees something and they think this is, this is is there's something really wrong here, um, whether it's a teacher or it's somebody, if you're at the mall, like you said, and you mm-hmm. see this situation where you're like, there is definitely something not right here. What should people do?
2: Well, the first thing is do not intervene. You are not Lim and you don't have a special set of skills. <laughs> you can't go in with a toothpick and kill six people who are armed and get the victim out. Um, but there are things you can do. I always encourage everyone to keep the National Human Trafficking Hotline number in their cell phone. And that's 1-888-373-7888. And when you put that in your phone, scroll down to the notes section and type text, T-E-X-T, X T two And we'll put all this on the website <clears> too. <throat> because... This is um, monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And they speak 170, it's 140 or 170 different languages. So they can help you. Um, The reason you need to have the text part in there is let's say that you and uh, your girlfriend, the two of you are out at a Starbucks having frappuccinos and just shooting the breeze about your day. And you see this man come in with a younger girl and you're thinking, oh, he's having a daddy-daughter date. How great. Until you suddenly see him palming her rear end or pulling her close and, and groping her in other ways in the no-no square, as we call it. That's messed up. Mm-hmm. At the very least, it is a child who is a victim of sexual abuse, if that is a apparent. Um, at most, it could be a trafficking victim. But you can't whip your phone out in Starbucks and say, hey, I'm at the Starbucks um, over here on Howell Mill Road. And this is what I'm seeing because they're going to hear you. Mm -hmm. You don't know if that is a purchaser or if that is a trafficker. So if you're speaking out loud and they see it. You're putting the victim at risk, and you're putting yourself at risk because again, it's a thirty-two billion dollar a year industry. So, your chump change to get rid of compared to what they earn. So, if you text, you can text them and say, "Hey, I'm at Starbucks at 1801 Howl Mill Road in Atlanta, Georgia, and this is going on." This is
0: not. This this is not. This is a. This is a fake scenario. So,
2: (laughs) Starbucks don't come after us. (laughs) Yes, this is a scenario. So you're texting that, and if you're really savvy, you can take a picture and upload it, too, um, as long as you don't do it like my grandma would do and, like, have to walk up to them to Zoom. (laughs) Stand still. Um, And to cheese, so you can't do that, but you could send it. And then you could be sitting there enjoying your Frappuccino, and law enforcement can be dispatched. And come in there and take the young lady to one section, the the man to another, assess the situation, and he could be hauled away in handcuffs. And she could be going to one of the safe homes or even back to her own home. Meanwhile, you're sitting at Starbucks with your Wonder Woman cape hidden while you drink your Frappuccino, and nobody in there knows that you did it.
1: You know, I've seen something very similar at the grocery store. Like, as you were talking, I was like, "I've, I've seen this. Not necessarily where I thought the woman was very young but it was it seemed obvious to me that they were not in a relationship and that he was controlling controlling her that she was there at the grocery store he was purchasing the groceries it was a very odd combination of people he was much much older than she was she may have been about 18 19 scantily dressed Um, but I didn't know what to do. I was like, what do I call somebody? What do I do? Maybe this is just a situation where he's just helping her out.
2: You can always tell 911 and and you can hope that that law enforcement office has been trained on Mm. uh, what the indicators are. And, and so they're going to approach it as potential victim and not automatic prostitute. Mm. Um, If they are under 18 years old, law enforcement will be looking for a trafficker because according to the federal laws, you can't consent to sex until 18. Mm. So that's why traffickers tell every victim, tell them you're 18 mm. because you have to protect daddy at all costs. But as I tell people all the time, Once you hit your 18th birthday, a trafficker's not going to look at you and go, okay, baby, thank you. You can go now. He is going to keep you in his herd as long as you are earning income for him because you're the widget he's selling. You're not a person. You don't celebrate a birthday. You don't have any value to him outside of the money that you bring in. There have been several cases, one of the victims that we serve where When they're not out seeing clients, they're kept in a dog crate.
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: And um, doesn't happen all the time. It's not common, but it does happen. It may be that the trafficker does that. It may be that a purchaser purchases for a 24-hour period and gets their kicks out of that. The violence that these victims have endured would keep you up for countless nights.
1: Mm -hmm. So why don't they leave?
2: Why don't they leave? That's a question I get all the time. Because typically they have formed a very high complex trauma bond with their trafficker. It's like the Stockholm Syndrome that you see in domestic abuse. A trafficker will love on her, make her think she's his number one. And then if she steps out of line or doesn't earn the money that he wants her to for the day, which is referred to as their quota or threshold, He may beat her with an inch of her life and then he'll pull her in his lap and start kissing on her and saying, baby, I wish you wouldn't make daddy beat you like that. If you just do what I say, I wouldn't have to do that because I love you. I don't want to hurt you like that. And so he is already shifting the blame for the, the physical punishment onto her. This is her fault. And she chose this is what he'll tell her because she chose him. Well, she chose him thinking she was in a dating relationship or because she needed a place to lay her head or she needed a meal. She didn't choose him to sell her 10 to 30 times a night. Yeah. But he is going to constantly um, put that on her. Every victim I have worked with, they all have complex PTSD. They need complex trauma therapy. They, many times, even after being um out of the life and into recovery won't see themselves as won't use the word victim mm-hmm. they'll call themselves a hoe and say yeah i was out turning tricks but it's only when you start asking the questions that allude to choice
1: mm-hmm.
2: that they start to see this was not my choice mm-hmm. i d-. and then they start to realize If it wasn't my choice, someone did this to me. I am a victim. Mm -hmm. And we try with those that we serve to help them understand it's her choice, her voice. So when we come alongside them and provide survivor services, uh, we'll present options. We don't demand that they do any of those options because we can't tell them what to do or we become their new trafficker.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so... We're there with them when they make wise choices and we celebrate and we get excited. And then when they epically fail in a choice and we're picking up pieces, we don't look at them and say, look what you did, mm-hmm. because that's what a trafficker would do. Mm-hmm. We ask them, how'd that work out for you? Well, what what do you think would be a better option next time? How How can we avoid this? Mm-hmm. Because just because they come out of the life, doesn't mean that everything is then just
1: fabulously wonderful. Mm-hmm. They, it sounds kind of like a reparenting. Yeah, you know that's kind of the thing that I do with my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm exactly. glad that they made the mistake while they're still within my home and I can comp- kind of protect them a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but it is kind of a. It sounds like parenting. Mm-hmm. Okay, really. You know,
2: I, I've I've said that my whole life I wanted to be a mom and a teacher, mm-hmm. and. I am a mom and I was a teacher in the, the school setting um, for many years, but I say now God's just changed my classroom mm-hmm. and that I have adopted a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Every one of these victims that we serve, I never ask. I introduce myself as Susan. I give them my business card and I walk away and say, if you want to enter into a relationship with Rescue and Hope, let me know. I leave it totally in their corner. Um, And they call and when they call, they always call and say, hey, mama, I never asked them to call me mama. And I've even asked them one time I said, "Y'all, do you think by you calling me mama that that's almost like a deferred uh, identity like daddy as a trafficker? Do you think people would think that that's what's going on here? They got violently angry and they're like, heck no, we chose that name for you. You never asked that you introduce us. As Susan. Mm-hmm. And and that's how you always refer to yourself. That's how you sign every card you give to us or everything that you do for us. You sign it, Susan. We choose to call you mama. And I think it is. They, they want that. They want this boundary. We all crave boundaries, mm-hmm. even in adulthood. Mm-hmm. whether we like to own it or not. When we start a job, we want to know what are the expectations? What do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Because we want to play within the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that's where we feel safe when we don't have any. We feel very unsafe and mm-hmm. uncared for and unvalued.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, one of the things that I that I hear from you. And I think I know just inherently is that we are all looking for belonging. We're all looking for love and belonging. And I think that the, the women and men who fall into sex trafficking, that's what they're looking for too. They're looking to belong somewhere. And the, this is being used by these um, evil intentioned people to to then create an environment where they, they think they belong, they abuse them. And then why don't they leave? Because they feel like they, they have a place to belong. Maybe they didn't belong anywhere before that. And even though where they belong is not, healthy and obviously they're being hurt they still belong there they still and probably the more they're Mm -hmm. abused the more they believe they belong there the more they believe they deserve it and there's that shame Mm -hmm. and why don't people leave i mean i agree that it's exactly the same thing as domestic violence is that they believe they deserve it they've been told that they deserve it and so they don't think that they have the right to leave
2: And they're told that their family doesn't want them back because you're just a hoe. You're damaged goods. I'm the only one who will love you. I'm the only one who wants you. Right. And so as a result of that, one victim said, better the hell you know than the one you don't. Right. Right. So the traffickers are not stupid. Everybody thinks they are. They're They're very Mm -mm. savvy, manipulative, conniving people, Mm -hmm. and they know probably more about how the human psyche works than most people. And they have learned how to manipulate it. There's actually, when there are pimp raids into pimping rings, um, law enforcement have found two different documents that are sometimes there. One is a book called Pimpology, which is written by a pimp, Mm. telling how to be a pimp and how to keep your hose in line. Wow. The other is a document from the 1800s. It's a copy of the Willie Lynch letter telling how to maintain your slaves and how to keep them in line. Wow. And that's why we call it modern-day slavery. It's really not much different, except they don't have a commonality of color of skin. This mm-hmm. this impacts black, white, Hispanic, uh, Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. Asian, you name it. So... Um, there was an independent study done by the Shapiro group, which is a research group that Youth Spark asked to have done several years ago, where they set up fake lines and people would call in to make dates and they were collecting the data of what are they looking for, how old are they, where are they located geographically in metro Atlanta, those types of things. And I read some of the transcripts and it just was. Completely disturbing. They were ordering people as fast as you were ordering a pizza, and one guy was in town for a minute, and so he was like, "Well, um, do do you have Latino?" And do you, okay on this day, I want this. It's like he was ordering, like a menu ordering out a menu, like a week's worth of of girls that he wanted.
1: I need a shower.
2: And they would give um, in this study. They wanted to see if people knowingly we're purchasing minors, would they refrain? Because a lot of people will say, well, I didn't know she was 18.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, the Georgia's not buying it campaign has said it doesn't matter if you know or not. Um, so they would say, well, I'm not sure if she's 18. And then the call, if the call continued, they would say next that I'm pretty certain that she's um, not 18 and then if the call continued, they would say, she is definitely a minor. And over 40% of the phone calls continued.
0: Wow. So wow. So
2: there are people who specifically want minors,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but there are also people out there who've been in the life for a, a long time and they might have been taken into the sex trade as a minor, but they may be in their 20s or 30s. Or we served a victim who is 54 years old. Wow. And a lot of times traffickers will induce uh, drug use to help them uh, stay pliant, pliable mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: and compliant with their expectations. And then they'll say, oh, you can leave anytime you, you want to. You just have to pay off your, your drug debt.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: which they'll never be able to pay off their drug debt. Mm -hmm. So they use every type of leverage they can.
0: So tell me about Rescuing Hope. What do you Mm -hmm. offer? What do you do? You mentioned, the we know the book, you mentioned the curriculum. I know that you work with some schools and you provide survivor services.
2: What does that look like? Sure. Our mission statement says that it's the mission of Rescuing Hope to enlighten the public about sex trafficking in America to educate potential victims and first responders, and to empower advocates and survivors. So with regard to enlightenment, we travel the country and do awareness events wherever we're invited, be it a house of worship, um, a civic center, or a school environment. And that's just to make people aware this is real and it's real in your backyard, that it's not just Thailand, Cambodia, India, but it's there and in their backyard because people aren't going to fight a problem if they don't know it exists. Mm-hmm. Second, with regard to education, we educate first responders, and those are educators, principals, counselors, school psychologists, because of the data that shows that of those in Georgia were being groomed and recruited while they were going to school. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: We go into medical facilities and educate medical personnel, typically nurses, because they spend the most amount of time with victims. Um, Because there was a study released in 2014 that showed 87.8% of victims either went to an emergency room, an urgent care, or a women's center to be seen while they were in the life and no one asked a question that would get them out of that environment. So we've done trainings. uh, We're in agreement with Wellstar right now, training people in their hospitals. We trained one at a a hospital in this area and three weeks later, the nurse rescued a victim. So we Mm. know that it's working. We're also working with uh, Chamberlain University that trains nurses and starting to work with them on a rotating basis to go into their cycle of nurses as they're training to equip them. And then we train law enforcement and not that I go in and give them nuisance skills (laughs) because I don't have them. Um, And we don't talk about statute and code. They're experts in that. But what we do bring is the victim perspective. How do Uh, victims present because Mm -hmm. they're not going to come out and go, oh, pick me, pick. I'm a victim. Help me. Help me. They have had it grilled in their head to do the polar opposite of that. So we share what we've learned from victims themselves. These are the things that if someone asked me, I might have shared information. And we've done that both in Georgia and different uh, precincts. And we've also done training in Alabama. And in Tuscaloosa, they reached out and told us that shortly after the training that we provided, they did a big bust and were able to arrest uh, perpetrators and were able to rescue victims because we had given them new lenses to look at the potential victim with. And then the curriculum that we're working on is we're um, going to be piloting, hopefully, in May, a middle school curriculum because we need to get to the potential victims and educate them on how this works
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and what they can do, not only to make themselves a more difficult target, but also what they can do at a young age to fight this issue. And we're choosing to do digital because this is a fluid industry. And as it changes, we want the information that these young people get to be as real time as we can make it. With regard to empowerment When we speak in places, we always have at least one or two people who come up and go, I want to help, but I'm just a mom or I'm just a nurse or I'm just a this. The word just, everyone uses it to disqualify themselves for doing something and we have a statement. We like to tell people, do what you can where you are with what you have. Mm-hmm. And so we will help people find a place to fit into the fight. If it's with Rescuing Hope and our mission statement, great. We're really excited to have new people come on board. But if it's not, and we can help you find the nonprofit that is doing that work and get you connected and plugged in so you're active, it's a win for us because mm-hmm. we're all fighting the same evil. It's mm-hmm. the same Goliath out there. So we partner with just about every frontline organization in Metro Atlanta. So if you want to be that person that rescues, we're going to put you in touch with Out of Darkness. If you have to touch a minor and you want to go make a meal or sit with and mentor a minor, because in your mind, that's the worst of all evils, then we can get you in touch with Gigi's House, Wellspring Living, Hope House, um, if if you want to just come in to those women who are over 18, who never had anyone to speak life into them, then we can partner you with a variety of organizations. Maybe you're just philanthropic and you have a great business idea and you want the proceeds to come, then by all means, call Rescuing Hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, we share in that as well. So, um, you know, there are lots of ways that you can plug in. Right now, Metro Atlanta is gearing up for Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. and it's not that Super Bowl is the biggest uh, event in the world where trafficking happens. It's just a big event that brings thousands of people into one location. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's an example of other things that will
2: happen all year. Because it happens every single day. One trafficker told me, we may doze, but we never close. If we get a call, we take them all. Wow. So, um. Yeah, he thought he was cute with that rhyme. So oh,
1: my heart just broke a little they,
2: bit. Uh, I mean, if you're in Colorado when the stock exchange happens, trafficking goes up. Just last week, the Atlanta Gift Mart had the gift show. It is the largest gift show in the world. So tens of thousands of people came into Atlanta. If we were able to collect data, it would show that numbers go up. Those that we serve say every time there's a major sporting event, a major convention, or it's a vacation destination, our quotas double or triple. That means we have to see twice as many clients because the demand is higher and my trafficker can make twice as much money off of me. And he's all about the money.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So, um, you know, just making yourself aware now, that doesn't mean don't ever go watch the Falcons play or the Braves play or the Hawks play or Atlanta United, because they're not doing things to make it happen. They're, they're not to promoting what's going on around it. It's just it. their job mm-hmm. brings people together. Mm-hmm. So when you are there, look for the indicators. Pay attention. Tell your kids. Mm-hmm. Travel in, in packs. There's safety in numbers. Um... You know, people always laugh because girls go to the bathroom in groups. Certainly tell your kids to do that, guys as well, because people do purchase males and they don't just purchase homosexual males because your trafficker does not care about your sexual orientation, right. they care about what someone wants to pay them for. And they'll send you for someone who wants to rape you. Homosexually, heterosexually, they don't give a rip. They just want the money. Mm -hmm. So we need to educate. Boys freak out and they're like, how can a dude be a victim? We have several openings in your body that do not require compliance. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone who is a victim is not necessarily someone who is complying with this. So you can be a victim. Um, we're serving our first male client Mm -hmm. and he had female purchasers and male purchasers. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it needs to be something we're constantly talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that one of the most important things that you do, and and I'm so happy that we got to be a part of that today, is bringing awareness, just waking people up to the fact that this is happening, that it's happening everywhere, and that we can be part of the solution. I mean, I think that, you know, it feels overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think that the, the issue of sex trafficking and the just the the size, $30 billion, it's just such a huge number. And you mentioned Goliath. And I think that that is absolutely a great picture of what this is. And at the same time, we can be part of the solution because every single person who is saved out of this life, who is rescued out of this life, who is helped out of this life, and who is prevented from ever becoming part of that life is a, is a win. It's a win. It's a win. And and for that person, it doesn't matter that it's a 30 billion dollar industry. It means that's one life that's been saved or changed or rescued. And that's the business that we should be in. Everybody, right?
2: And one of the biggest things that we can do with anyone that we encounter is to speak life into them yes. and to fill their their love tank, their worth because yes. if they have a full love tank, then they're not going to be looking for someone else out there to validate them. And don't only speak about the external, but Mm -hmm. edify everything you can find out good about someone and keep those communication lines open. Let them know, even if it's the neighbor across the street, take that two or three minutes out of your day to speak to them because Mm -hmm. you never know if that's the thing that's going to keep them from responding to the person on the other side of the screen who's saying, Well, I care about you. I wouldn't do that for you. You Mm -hmm. can talk to me. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they could. But if the neighbor across the street is talking to them and saying, hey, you're important to me, Mm -hmm. then maybe that child is going to choose to talk to the neighbor instead Mm -hmm. or the mom Mm -hmm. or the dad or the uncle or the aunt. It's hugely important. And then I strongly encourage parents to role play situations with their young people. We do that with fire drills all the time. We have true. people mm-hmm. talk about, what do you do if this happens? You do it with driver's ed. You practice mm-hmm. so that you know what to do when an accident happens or if you hit black ice. So you need to put that into play. One young lady, it, it saved a situation with her. Her father um, did not buy her her own iPad, but he let her use his. And she liked this particular app musically. Because you can lip sync to songs and play with friends. And so he allowed her to use it in the family room when he was in the family room. So he was there watching a football game and she was there doing her thing. And suddenly something happened and she said, Daddy, what's this? The person on the other side of the screen was asking her to send inappropriate pictures of herself. But because he said, if something ever happens that you don't understand, you come ask me and I will tell you. And so they were able to get law enforcement involved. That's an app that most children, elementary children, are using. Wow. So we we need to be aware of the apps. I tell parents all the time, do not allow your children to have anything on their device that you don't know how to operate. Because mm-hmm. that's an open door for danger, if that's right. the case. right. And that technology needs to be in Open spaces in the house, Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: never kept behind closed doors, and set the example. Turn your technology off and store it in a similar location. Maybe it's under lock and key, or maybe it's in the master bedroom, but demonstrate to your children that you're going to have that downtime as well, Mm -hmm. and then they'll start to see it not as a punishment or a rule that I have to follow, but a way of life.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think that's great advice. And I think we could definitely do a whole other show. And I think we've done a little bit on technology, but I think we could do a whole other show on the need for managing technology safely. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us to share your heart and um, this incredible issue and how we can be part of the solution. And I encourage anyone who wants to learn more
2: to go to your website. Can you tell us that again? Sure. It's rescuinghope.com. And we're on just about every avenue of social media just as Rescuing Hope. Great. Great,
0: great. Awesome. Well, um, oh, you want to mention one more
2: thing? I do. I (laughs) want to say that, you know, there are some ways that you can help Rescue and Hope that cost you nothing except for a couple of minutes of your time. If you shop at Kroger and have a Kroger Plus card, you can attach the charity Rescuing Hope to that. And then every time you shop at Kroger, we get a percentage of what Kroger um, gains from that. And then Amazon has a program called Amazon Smiles. And so if you sign up through going to smile.amazon.com, then you can choose your charity of choice and you can choose Rescuing Hope Inc. for that as well. And then if you want to find out other ways that you can support us, you can do that online.
0: I love that. Thank you so much. Dee, did you have any other questions? I didn't. Else?
2: Just
1: thank you for being here.
0: Yeah, thank you. absolutely. Well, we always end our show with one question <laughs> and it feels a little bit uh, light to ask this question at this point, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because it's an important thing that we talk about on this show. Um, and that is, what are you going to do today to be healthier?
1: So for me, you know, I have two children. Um, my oldest son is 24, and so we don't have a lot of opportunities to hang out anymore. He doesn't live with me anymore. But um, I'm going over to his house to redo his game room. He's going to allow me to decorate. So a ah. lot. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. I'm going to go hang out with my Joshua. I
0: love that. I love that. What about
2: you, Susan? For me, my husband and I both work insane hours. And so Saturdays are our day. Where we just spend time with each other doing things that we enjoy, um, really just laughing a lot, getting out and walking if weather permits, and um, shutting out all of the things that we have to deal with Monday through Friday so that we can invest in our own mental health.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I'm I'm all for the downtime on Saturdays. For me I think you know I think uh, after this show like I have to my brain has to process a lot of this information so I've I've started journaling again And I'm really excited about that because I used to journal really heavily and then I went through a period of time when I really didn't journal much and I've just started journaling again. And I'm going to – this is going to become part of my journal today. I'm going to really sit with it and think about – because I think that's part of my health is processing even difficult things. So I think I'm going to sit and I'm going to spend some time journaling and thinking about this topic and how – what I can do and how I could be part of the solution, so – Thank you again for joining us, Susan. I really appreciate your time. And I do want to say to everyone who's listened to this show, thank you so much. I know this is a little bit of a longer episode, but it's such a deep topic, so important. There are so many details. So thank you for sticking with us, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you or chatting with you again <laughs> on the next episode of the Southern Bride Girlfriends podcast. Thanks, y'all. Bye, y'all.